Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Yeah, we talk about the next generation, so we want to make sure that we staff that way, that your kids have the very best, and uh, that's important for us. We do hope and pray that more families will be coming to the Lompoc area. There's talk about new homes. Some of you have heard about that. And so we're just being prepared uh, as the base grows, as the community grows, that we're ready. Uh, and we, we want to reach our kids before we have to rescue them. Reach them before you have to rescue them. And speaking of reaching people, I want to show you a guy, a picture of a man. Maybe you know him. Anybody know this guy? Yeah, he's been in some highly intellectual films. Can, can some of you remember some of those? Caddyshack. Anybody remember all about Bob? How about Ghostbusters? Yeah, he's got a new one that has to do with zombies. I don't, uh, you, you die, but you don't really die. And, and anyway, the reason I put him up here is because he has six children. Now, I didn't do the research about how many wives those six kids came from. I don't know anything about his faith, and we're not going to leave him up there that long, except I want to talk about him for a moment. There's something about Bill Murray that has caught my attention. Well, let me give you a for instance. Bill was walking in a neighborhood one day, not far from where he lives. It's a neighborhood he hadn't walked through before, and he saw lots of cars pulling up and people going into a house. So he stood outside for a while, and he thought, hmm, looks like they're having a big party. So Murray walks into the home unannounced, starts walking around. People are going, Bill, Bill Murray? Bill Murray? And he sees this couple, recognizes that they're the host and hostess. It's their house. And they're in the kitchen cleaning up and putting things away while all the guests are throughout the house and in the backyard. And he tells the couple, listen, you should be with your guests, not doing kitchen cleanup. He cleaned all their dishes, pots, pans, wiped down the kitchen, and left as quietly as he entered. Pretty cool. Uh, another time, he uh, saw a band that was pulling up to a venue uh, at some resort area, and they had a long trek from where the vans were parked to where the venue was to play, and Bill Murray started grabbing their gear and carrying it up the hill. And they said, are you Bill Murray? He said, no, I'm your roadie. I came to help you. And so he actually did, uh, did a good job helping them. They invited him to do backup singing with the band and play tambourine. Well, the neighbors in that resort called and complained to the police that it was too loud. And so the cops showed up to try to find out who was in charge. And all the band members said, him, it's Murray. They said, no way, that's not really, it is Bill Murray. So they got their phones out. They took their pictures with Murray and forgot the original reason they were there. They didn't tell the band it turned out at all. I just thought that was great. They blamed it on the tambourine player. Well, being a percussionist, I get it. We get a lot of blame. But then there was a time, this one's the best. He arrives at the airport. He calls an Uber. He's got about 60 minutes to get to his destination. The Uber driver says, I'll drive you, happy to drive you. As they start pulling out of the airport, Murray starts talking to him about his life. And he says, tell me about what you like to do for fun. He says, well, actually, I, I'm a saxophone player, but I don't have much time to practice because I drive this Uber about 16 hours a day. 
And Murray says, where's your sax? He said, in the trunk. Murray says, pull the car over. He says, I can't play the sax, but I know how to drive. So Murray drove the car while the guy in the back seat practiced his saxophone. He said, at least I could give him the gift of one hour of practice. Hey, the stories go on and on about Bill Murray. Like one time he walked into a bar. The bar was crowded. It was packed. He went behind the bar and said to the bartender, I'm going to help you make drinks. He doesn't know how to make drinks. Nobody got the drink they ordered, but everybody left happy. Yeah, Bill Murray, baby, Bill Murray. But here's what he said when he was interviewed by the Guardian newspaper. He said, I'm not acting like this for the purpose of being exciting. I do it because it's fun. If there's life happening and you run from it, you're not doing the world a favor. You have to engage with people. It's almost sad that people aren't expecting others to engage with them. So when you do, it becomes a surprise. People are walking around in life almost comatose. But we can come and engage in their world and lessen their load. It's small acts of kindness. It's small acts that make the world seem, well, a little brighter, to lighten someone's load. Maybe it's a little weirder, but the mundane routines of life have taken the excitement away from people. I would rather make their life more exciting. Probably the most interesting fact about Murray as I read about him, again, I don't know about his faith. Don't send me an email if you found out some dirt on Murray. All I know is that most celebrities are concerned about themselves, making sure they look good, making sure they, well, I doubt many of them would drive their own Uber. But he said, we've got to break away from preconceived ideas on how we should act and how we should behave. What? would it be like if we lessened other people's load, if we helped them wake up from their comatose stance of life, and if somehow we shed a little light on their darkness? So when I heard that, I thought, wow, I know somebody who modeled that for us. His name was Jesus. That's how he lived his life. And in Mark chapter 5, if you have a Bible, you can get that out. Mark chapter 5, if you don't have a Bible, you can use the one in the chair back in front of you. The words will also be on the screen. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that one as our gift to you. If you're going from church to church collecting Bibles, please leave that one here. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever said this someday? Someday I'll get around to that. Someday when I'm not as busy. Someday when I learn more or know more. Someday when I have a little more faith. Someday when I quit working. Someday when I get out of school. Someday when the kids get out of school. Someday when I retire, <laughs> well, the truth of the matter is, someday is today. We need to live in the moment. We need to find how we can love other people with the love of God. Many of you have heard this said before. How do we spell love? We spell it T-I-M-E. We give time. We make the most of every time and every moment. And while you're in Mark uh, chapter 5, Let's look at Psalm 90, verse 12 on our screen. Let's read it together. Ready? Go. Teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them as, as we should. And then Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, let's read it. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but making the most of 
making the most of every opportunity. If we took a poll in here today, I would bet you all of you would say, I had an opportunity one time, or two times, or three times, and I missed it. I squandered it. I had an opportunity to share my faith with somebody, and I did not have an opportunity to help somebody that was down and out and give them a leg up or give them a boost or affirm someone. Or I saw a child who I, I knew was down and out. I think about our kids' ministries. We just introduced Rachel to you, and I, I think about a family that's a part of our Lompoc community now. Uh, they were forced to move here. They didn't want to come. They were forced to move here. You see, um, Dad became incarcerated and was sent to Lompoc Penitentiary. And so for the 10 or 15 years that he will serve there, the family decided to come be a part of this community so they'd be close for visitation. Mom and the kids, uprooted from their friends, uprooted from her job, came here to look for work. And uh, those kids are a part of our kids' ministries today. They're over in, in Kids United. And I thought about it as the kids are over there making hats. They're making hats for their dads. And these kids will be over there at some point today making a hat that says something about Father's Day. And I don't know how all that will play out. It's, it's not me to micromanage. But I began to think about those kids as they come, how we can make a difference in their lives through our kids' ministries or as they run around here today. You know, after service, we've got a little area in the lot next door here where uh, we set up some games for dads, but anybody can play them. And I wonder if maybe those kids might make their way over there where you could just smile at them and love on them. You see, Psalms 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days. Ephesians 5.15 says, help us to make the most of every opportunity or every moment of time that we have. In Mark chapter 5, we see Jesus in action. He's become available. He's intentional on how to take care of other people around him. You know, when you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find out that the majority of Jesus' ministry is ministry by interruption. As he was walking on the road, somebody asked him a question. As he was walking on the road, the blind man yells out to him, hey, I want to see. Or someone else says, have mercy on me. The lepers come and, and find Jesus. And in these stories today, we're going to find out that Jesus was interrupted. And yet he used his time, his moments, for the glory and the good of God and the good of others. So there was an area of, uh, that was very remote. It was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It was a tough place to get to. But it was a place nobody really wanted to go because it was where the unclean people were kept. The region of the unclean clean. And religious people would not really go there, but Jesus did things that were anti-religious all the time. People that were nothing like Jesus like Jesus, and people that, that Jesus liked were nothing like him. He reached out to people that were so different, and, and here's one of those stories where he gets to the other side, and he sees this man that's demon-possessed, and this guy often ran around naked, and if they clothed him, he'd rip off his clothes. And when he started to cut himself with sharp rocks, they would actually chain him to try to keep him from hurting himself. He would often break those chains because of the demonic stronghold in his life. This guy was really bad for economic development, by the way. Because if anybody ventured to that side of the island thinking about maybe starting a business or investing or building some you know, condos, they, no way. He was the guy that greeted them uh, at the dock, and they said, no way. This, this is not the right place for us to be. But Jesus encountered him. In Mark 5, verse 8 and 9, it says, For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. 
And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? What is your name? Now, if you study the commentaries, you're going to get a lot of theology telling you that the reason that Jesus said, what is your name, is because he wanted the demons to respond to him. But we know that Jesus knows everything. We know that he's God. We know that he's good and not evil. We know that he's light and not dark. He knew exactly the name of the demon. I'd like to throw my hat in the arena. I might be wrong, but this is what I believe, that Jesus wanted to know this man's name because he wanted to know this man. He wanted to actually engage with him. Again, this guy's an outcast. He's been chained. He's been beaten up. I picture him bleeding from cutting himself. I picture his hair's all disheveled. He obviously hasn't shaved. He's got a beard. He looks, he looks horrible. And Jesus looks in his eyes and says, I want, I, I want to know you. I don't want to know your story as much as I want to know who you are and how you feel about yourself. See, this man is totally changed. He's transformed. The demons are gone. And he comes to Jesus, and now he says, you've impacted me so much, I want to go with you. I want to go with you as you leave. And it says in Mark 5, 18 and 19, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus <laughs> said, don't let him go. You go home and you tell your own people. You testify to those who know everything about you that you've been transformed. See, if you go with me, Jesus says, I've got to tell people your story. But these people on this island have lived the story with you. See, that's why I love people that go testify to their family. That's why I love people that testify to their coworkers. That's why I love people when, when they're transformed by Jesus, that, that they're actually living out in front of their friends and family members. They're seeing a, a transformed life. That's the best testimony of all, I think. Let me go share that testimony with them. There's a couple things as this story unfolds and two more stories behind it that teach us some lessons. The first thing, you can write this down if your notes uh, in the back of your little handout today. What looks like inconvenience, I need to see as opportunity. What looks like inconvenience, I need to see as opportunity. You come up to the shoreline, this is Jesus' story, and here comes this man who's demon-possessed. And right away he says, you know what, there's an opportunity here. Can I ask you a question? I know it's Father's Day and I want to kind of be light today, but not right now. I want to be a little, little deep. Where's a person, where's a situation that God wants you to pay attention to and you keep overlooking? Where's somebody in your home? Where's somebody in one of your most meaningful relationships? Where's somebody that you work with day after day? And then there's a weight that, that, that their life puts on your life, but yet there's somehow you step back because you think of the inconvenience. I would love to just say this to you. If we were having coffee, here's what I'd say. Hey, start looking at opportunities around you. Ephesians 5, make the most of every opportunity in your midst. Proverbs 3.28 says, never tell your neighbor to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now. Now, in the moment. Now. You see something, you go, I, I, I can do something about that. And the greatest prayer that we pray, and I, I asked you to pray this recently, and last week as we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit, I said, what if we prayed this prayer? Lord, interrupt me. Take your finger from heaven and just tap me on the shoulder because I don't know about you. Sometimes I'm a little dense. I, I, I think that, 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 that people just want to talk to me, but I miss the fact that it's a moment for ministry sometimes where we actually don't just say, I'll be praying for you, but we actually pray for somebody. We talked about that uh, in our men's group Friday morning at 6 a.m. 
over in the Connections building. You're all, all guys are invited anytime to come. They have donuts too. It's pretty good. And so, uh, and coffee. And so we, we even said that in our group. Hey, Lord, let it not just be, I'll be praying for you, but, but how about I pray for you now? And one guy shared how he's prayed for people in Albertsons. Uh, I've never had anybody in all my years say, don't pray for me. I've never had it happen. Can, can, I, can I pray for you? Sure. Usually they do this. You know? I had one guy, he just bowed his head and did this. You know? In the middle of Starbucks. I thought, you're weird. You look, you, you're, you're looking weird to me in the middle of Starbucks. I just kind of wanted this little quiet prayer in the corner, kind of unassuming prayer. He was like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> anyway, Okay. But, but here's the thing in an interruption. When, you, when you're starting to look at people that have needs around you, here's a great statement. Our goal should be to look into people more than at people. When you start looking at people, you size them up by their exterior. You size them up by the labels on their life. Can I just be blunt with you? I don't like labels. That person is, you fill in the blank. I don't like labels. And when you start looking at labels... You look at people rather than into people. What's God trying to do in that life? What's God's purpose for them? What's God's hand upon them? You know, um, we have people that are just polarized these days. I mean, duh, we notice. And the more that social media is uh, engaged into, the more that, that people just say stuff and type stuff and post stuff, and then they regret stuff. And then once you post something, everybody and their mother's trying to repost the post of the post. And pretty soon, you know, you know what happens? If we don't agree with people, people think we hate them. And I found this quote by uh, Pastor Tim Keller. It's a great quote. It says, you can love without agreeing with someone, and you can disagree without hating them. That's free with the price of admission today. Take that home with you, huh? Hey, I can love you. I don't have to agree with everything you stand for or believe in. I can still love you, right? Love God, love people. Serve God, serve people. And we can disagree without hating each other. But I'm just going to tell you this. When, when Keller said that, there's a lot of people that can't do this. If you don't agree with my stance or my position or my theology or my politics or my choices, then you hate me. No, 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 no. I, I love you. Don't agree with you, but I love you. Wouldn't it be great if we just went around and said, I love you. I love you. Love you too. Love you too. Do you agree with me? Not really, but I love you. No, if you don't agree with me, you hate me. Hate is going to hate, hate, hate. <laughs> you can disagree without hating. Isn't that good? And Jesus meets two people that are polar opposites. He goes from the demon-possessed man, gets in the boat, goes to the other side of the lake, Verse 21 to 24, and Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus. Now here's what we know about Jairus. He's in charge of the Wednesday night Bible study, Jairus. He's in charge of the synagogue campus, Jairus. Because he's a man and because he's a religious leader, he's at the top of the rung as far as the social ladder is concerned. He's got it all together. He probably lives in a nice house. He probably has a nice, you know, bunch of people around him, some servants, no doubt. But something happened in Jairus' life. His daughter is dying. She's on her deathbed. And Jairus came when he saw Jesus, and he fell 
at his feet. This is a man with a critical need. This is a man who has a lot going for his life, but he can't help on this one. He can't heal his daughter. He's at his last straw. He's at the end of his rope. And he says, please come. My little daughter is dying. Put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Another interruption. Jesus went with him. And as Jesus is is on his way, no doubt because he's God, he knows exactly the condition of this little girl. He knows exactly what's going on. He's walking with Jairus. He can understand Jairus is probably deeply connected with the Pharisees who've wobbly warned him about Jesus. Don't you dare have anything to do with Jesus. But Jairus doesn't care. Jairus loves his girl. It's father's, father's moment. And on Father's Day, we get Jairus. He cares deeply for his girl. And what I know about people in Santa Barbara County, what I know about people online, what I know about watching the news, is that people are desperate. They, they're, they're at their last straw. They're holding on to rope. They're glad that there's a knot on the end of the rope, but they're holding on. And I wonder if Jesus could have missed Jairus. He's on his way to his next thing. There's a crowd gathering, but Jairus is there with his need. And Jesus models my need, your need, to be available. We say this a lot around here. You can't meet everyone's need. But do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. I I will just tell you, the needs and the calls that our church has been receiving the last six months are off the charts. Never had this many calls. Requests for us to do things for other people and other organizations. Requests for us to help people in their time of need. Our Monday night feeding team. The the list goes up and up on the amount of people that we're feeding every week now on Monday nights. More people calling the church with needs. More people calling the church uh, desperate for financial help. More people calling the church desperate for counseling. More organizations calling us because they want more cotton candy for their next party. We're the Cotton Candy Church. I didn't know if you knew that. I can't do for everyone. And sometimes when you see the amount of need, even in our own homes and our own neighborhoods, it's just overwhelming. So remember this phrase, please. I know you've heard it before, but get this down. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Because I see Christians all around North America who say, "I, I don't have any capacity. I don't have any bandwidth whatever that means. I don't have enough resources. I don't know enough Bible. I don't have enough faith. But how about this? Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. If there's somebody who's down and out, you go, I I can't help 150 people, 200 people. I can't feed 110 people like the other Monday night we fed here. Can't do it. Too much. You could feed one. You could find one single mom in your neighborhood, find out if maybe she needs a little help, You could find somebody, maybe you would encounter the lady with her kids who moved here because daddy's in prison. I I don't know, but there's need out there everywhere, inside the church, outside the church, in our communities, in some of our great service organizations. There's so many places for us to make a difference, but just do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. When I'm talking about serving and I'm looking at Mark 5, this passage of Ephesians 2, verse 10 comes to my mind. It's one of my greatest verses. I love this verse. And you've read it, right? We are his, come on, 
workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. But, but I want you to catch this. Which God prepared beforehand. Before you encountered that person, before the knock came on the door, before the text came in, before the email, before the phone call, God already prepared beforehand for you to do good works with that person. That we should walk in them. Oh, I love that. We get to walk into what he's already prepared for us. God's already organized things for you this week that you don't know anything about yet. Remember last week I said as we talked about the Holy Spirit, wherever you go this week is where Jesus wants to be. Wherever you go is where Jesus wants to be. We take Jesus into situations and circumstances where other people have not invited him. They may not even want to do anything about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, no religion here, please. No religion. And you walk in and bring the love of Jesus with you into situations. Man, it revolutionizes people. Think about your week this way. God's already planned it out. Planned out what? What part? The good works part. He knows where you're going to encounter somebody this week. He knows where someone's going to cross your path. He knows if you're praying that prayer, Lord, interrupt me, and here they come. God has some pretty amazing work for us to do. Don't underestimate yourself. Don't underestimate God. Don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. He's there with you and for you and will fill you and he will use you. So now, Jesus is on a mission, right? He's got to go to Jairus' house and something happens. <laughs> Prominent Jairus, on my way to go heal. He's on a mission. And a woman with amazing faith shows up in the middle of the crowd. Mark 5, 25 and 26. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for how many years? 12 years. So here's what I know. I'm not a doctor. But 12 years of bleeding means she's anemic. She has no energy. She's on her last leg. She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She spent all of her assets to try to get better. Only she grew worse. There's always a time for the hurting to be healed and to be given hope. Jesus is in the middle of this crowd, and here comes this woman, and you, you know the story. He touches the bottom of his garment, the bottom of his cloak, Mark 5, 27 to 29, and when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd. I see her crawling on the ground. There's no way she could push back the crowd. If you've ever been in a crowded space, like people racing to the field after the Super Bowl, or people waiting in a long line, for a four-minute ride, they're going to wait three hours in a long line at the house of mouse. Huh? And you've been in that crowd, you're, you're just bumping, and you bump into people, but you don't want to acknowledge them, but you bump into them anyway. And, but, but here's this, this woman, she, she's crawling. I see her that way anyway. And the lady comes, and she says these words, I will be healed. And immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Just imagine that. 12 years, I've spent every dollar I have. I've been to every doctor I can find. And all I did was, was touch the bottom of his, his robe, his garment. 
Something happens. Jesus distinguishes her from all the bumps of everybody else in the crowd. There's something about this woman. Let me make a little parenthetical stop here to say that, that Jesus loves when we gather even like this. Or at a conference, or at a concert, a Christian concert. Yay! Everybody felt Holy Spirit goosebumps. Yay! Yay! Jesus knows the difference between the crowd and the committed. He knows people that go to church and do their check mark. Went to church, got it done, got it done. You got it done? Get her done. Got her done. It's done. Went to church. He knows the difference between people that go to church and, and, and people that really press into his presence. People that, 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 that sing, Lord, I, I need you. Or pray, God, I got to have you. Or tomorrow morning when you wake up, Jesus Christ, I need you by the power of the Holy Spirit to fill me today. I'm nothing without you. He knows the difference, and he knows the faith of this woman who's reached in. He's got demands on his life, but there's something about her that stops him. And number two, instead of identifying people by their weakness, I need to see people for what they can become. See, this woman was known as the woman who was unclean. If she was married, it was forbidden for her to sleep with her husband. And because she has an issue of blood, she can't cook food. It's forbidden by the Hebrew law. She's lost everything she has for 12 years. This is her story. But Jesus doesn't see her that way. He doesn't see her by her weakness. He sees her by what she can become. He sees her by her faith, her tenacity, her perseverance. I love this. Mark does a great job, don't get me wrong, but Luke 7, or excuse me, Luke 8 says something that Mark doesn't say. It says in verse 47 of Luke 8, then the woman seeing that she could not go unnoticed, she came trembling and fell at his feet. By, by the way, this is such a great passage. She's trying to come unnoticed. I wonder how many people we encounter on a daily basis that just want to be unnoticed. Don't, don't bother me. Don't step into my story. Don't you dare do the good works that God has foreordained for you to do in my life. Don't you dare. I wonder how many people even come to church or are watching online today. They're just saying, I'm glad to be here. Thank you that you came. You had guts to come. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you'll come back. But even in church, we can try to, I just, just, nobody noticed me. Nobody singled me out. You know what I noticed? All the times in the gospels where people were healed, where people were touched, where people were transformed, there was an encounter with Jesus. There was an encounter with the disciples. There was an encounter as Peter got up and preached and 3,000 souls were saved that day in a crowd. Difference happened in their lives. But then if that wasn't enough, back in Mark chapter 5, verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Daughter, this is the only place in the Bible where Jesus calls a woman daughter. The only place. She tried to be unnoticed. Jesus said, I'm not letting you do that. I'm going to call you daughter, which meant a couple of things. If he's calling her daughter, he's connecting her with the Father. Happy Father's Day. Father God. You're called daughter because you're the daughter of the Most High God now. You're, 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 you're the daughter for which I'm going to die for when I go to the cross. When he calls her daughter, he's embracing her in the family. 
I'm not letting you get out of here by yourself. But I'm trying to be unnoticed. If she were to speak up, she'd probably say that. I'm, I'm trying to touch your hem of your garment and, and, and leave. I don't want to be a bother. Don't, don't want to mess with your plans. Don't want to interrupt your ministry. And Jesus says, you're so valuable. For 12 years, you've been ostracized, marginalized, just like the man with the demons. But not today, sweetheart. Today I say peace with you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Could you imagine what she felt like? And by the way, whatever you're facing today, this is the attitude of Jesus. This is the attitude of the body of Christ. We don't get everything right. We don't always serve everybody with perfection. We know that. We make mistakes, but not Jesus. If you come to Christ with all your pain, with all your hurt, with all of your issues, with all that you're facing today, He's going to call you son. He's going to call you daughter. He's going to embrace you. He's going to bring his healing to you, and he's going to let you go in peace and be free from your suffering. I don't know if you think that's good news. I do. I think it's great. And then Mark 5, 41. What does Jesus do? He gets back on track. Remember he told Jairus, I'm coming to your house. Well, before Mark 5, 41, the clan of Jairus, the, the tribe of Jairus said, hey, 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 Jairus, no reason for you to bring the teacher to the house. Your girl's dead. She's gone. She's finished. She took her last breath. You missed it. But Jesus comes, and he takes her by the hand, and he says, little girl, I say to you, get up. <laughs> and what's interesting is that Mark inserts that she was 12 years old. She's as old as this woman with the issue of blood had been bleeding. And I see her waking up and saying, what's for lunch? Some of you are saying that now. What's for lunch? She grabs her Barbie. She's playing Barbies, you know, knocking them in the head, pulling their hair apart. Come on. I've seen a lot of headless Barbies in my day. And immediately this girl comes to life. She's, she's astonished. The people around her are astonished. And I, I love what Mark says here, he takes her by the hand. Here, here's something I want you to consider. The best way to lead people out of the darkness is by the hand. Not just to say to them, hey, get, get out of the hole you're in. Do something, will you? No, no. The best way is, is by the hand. We lead them to the Christ that we already know. We lead them to the power of the Holy Spirit. We lead them to the truth of the scriptures that we already know. We share our story with them, but boy, we listen to their story. And instead of waiting, number three, for someone else to help, I need to take personal action. I need to do something. Something. Now, some of you are newer to this church. I've watched. Some are brand new. Some of you have come from different churches. They have different culture and DNA. And let me just tell you, we, we believe in loving and serving our community. Um, this is not a, another announcement about the Flower Festival parade, but I guess it kind of is. You haven't, you haven't enjoyed the parade until you get to see it from our vantage point, from the sidewalks, as we take our coolers on wheels and hand people free ice water and give little kids Tootsie Pops. And I'll never forget about 10 years ago, uh, we were doing it. We've been doing it forever. And, and this lady who had never stepped out of her comfort zone showed up here, we meet here first, then we go out. And she said, man, all those kids were so excited to get the Tootsie Pop. 
I said, yeah, how did you feel? She smiled. She goes, I was putting smiles on kids' faces. Can I do it again? I said, well, we have about 14 other things you can do between now and next year. Come on, serve with us, you know? And she's been serving at our harvest party, our post-game party, and some of our other things that we do. But it's not just trying to recruit you to do that. That's good. If you want some training wheels, we'll help you learn how to start serving. But every one of us can serve somewhere. First in our homes. First with our, our, our co-workers, our most important people in our life. And then in our neighborhoods, people around us. Where we say, Jesus, Jesus, who are we passing by? Where's somebody that we keep overlooking that you're trying to get our attention so we can get their attention? Where's a need that I need to fill? Not ask for someone else to do it, but I'm going to find a need and I'm going to fill it for you. We spell love, sometimes T-I-M-E. We give somebody time. That's what people are longing for. And then we give them Jesus, not just our theological views or our political views. We just say, you know what? I know somebody who heals broken hearts. And by the way, I'm standing on this platform to tell you that I've seen firsthand, not only in my own life, but in the lives of my family and lives of people I've pastored, that Jesus still knows how to heal broken hearts. He knows how to take people that are captive and set them free. He knows how to take people that are on the wrong path and put them on the right path. And we just need to love them a little bit more and serve them a little bit more. The other night I was going through uh, Starbucks, I mean four bucks, and, uh, and a car behind me, there was a guy in the car behind me, and I just did what I do quite often. I paid for the car behind me. And the guy at the window said, well, what do I tell him? I said, well, just tell him some pastor guy in town. Don't tell him my name. Some pastor guy. Then he'll be thinking about church, you know, and religion probably. Uh, wanted to do something for him. And as I was turning around, making sure I didn't spill my drink, uh, the news had been broken to this guy that somebody paid. And the horn came on, the lights were flashing, and he started waving. No big, you know what he said? You made my day, 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 <laughs> And I thought, wow, it was like $6.20. I made his day for $6.20? Come on. Huh. It doesn't take much. People need to know the love of God. We know the old line that says, people don't need to know everything that you know, but they need to know how much you care. And we have a Savior that we can bring to them. And His name is Jesus. Don't be afraid, but be bold, be strong, and use what God has given you to change the life of somebody else. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.